We're, we're looking this morning at uh, a prayer of Jesus in John 17. Before we do that, though, I want us to look at uh, Jeremiah 33, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah 33, 1 through 3 says this. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard. Are there people who are confined today? Self-quarantining or they're confined? The word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Is that good news today to know that we can call upon the Lord even when we're confined and he will show us great and awesome things which we did not know? Well, let's pray this morning as we're going to look into his word, ask him to feed us, ask him to lead us, ask him to do in our midst that which would be uh, according to his purpose today. Father, we're coming before your throne of grace. And Lord, we're thankful today that we are your people, that we are under your care, and that you do all things well. Lord, while the world is concerned about death, Father, you've made it clear to us that for us it's all about life. And Father, we desire to be the church that Jesus has purposed us to be. So as we look into your word today, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would lead us, that he would feed us, and that we would leave here different from the way that we've come in. Lord, change our hearts and our minds, that we might be conformed to the likeness of your Son, our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our soon-coming King. For we ask it in his worthy name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was in a pastor's meeting, and in that pastor's meeting was our pastor from the Lancaster Alliance Church, which at the time was the largest church in our district. Uh, between 2,500 and 3,000 people uh, were attending that church every, every, every Sunday. And with Pastor's Envy, I said to Steve, boy, it must be great to have that, that kind of a, of a congregation. And he looked at me in the eye and he said, my congregation is a mile wide and an inch deep. He was saying to me, it's not important the size of the congregation unless there's this depth of Christ within that congregation. A number of years later, our oldest daughter and her husband we're moving out into the Los Angeles area because my son-in-law was working on his doctorate. They went to a church of 15,000 people. 15 pastors on staff. They attended there for six months and knew absolutely no one. My daughter, who had one of her degrees in creative writing, wrote to the senior pastor of the church. And she said, my husband and I have been attending here for six months, and we know no one. 
the senior pastor wrote back a very apologetic letter and said that he was very sorry, but in a church of that size, that's one of the things that they struggle with, making the connections that need to be made. Uh, Jesus, uh, just before he went to the cross, prayed a prayer. We find it in John chapter 17. And Jesus is actually praying this prayer for us. He begins by praying for himself. But very quickly it turns from praying for himself to praying for his disciples. And praying for those who would come to know him through the ministry of his disciples. And if we are in the place where we should be, then we are disciples of Jesus. And he's praying these things for us. First, I want you to look with me at verse 11 here in John 17. I'm not going to read the whole chapter here. We'll be here for a long time. But Jesus prays here, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That we might be one in our relationship with one another. He's looking for this, this unity. He's looking for this oneness in those who claim to be his disciples. Uh, this oneness makes us unique. Uh, <coughs> we saw on the news this morning, uh, some of the things that are taking place in our nation because of the panic that this pandemic is stirring up. People are basically trampling others to get toilet paper. I don't get it. Maybe I'm a dummy. I, I, don't, I don't understand. But this is the mindset that has, has come into people. Jesus is praying for his disciples, for his church, to be one. I want you to look down into verses 17 and through 19 here. Let's read that together. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. Jesus is praying that we, his disciples, his church, might be sanctified by God's truth. Now that's one of those religious words. What does it mean to be sanctified? Any ideas? Be holy. Work toward being Christ-like more and more every day. I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's one of those uh, religious terms. What it means is to be dying to the desires of the flesh and becoming more alive to the, to the desires of the Spirit. Is that good news that, that Jesus is our sanctifier? And notice he says that we're sanctified by his truth. What is his truth? The word of God. Beloved, we need more and more and more of the word of God to be sanctified 
by his truth. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, a noted Christian philosopher of the last century, said for every hour that he spent in secular philosophy, he needed to spend five hours in the Word of God to balance it out. Picture that. There's 168 hours in the week. How many hours during the week are we spent being bombarded by secular philosophy, secular influences? How much time do we spend in the Word of God to bring some kind of balance, some kind of understanding into our hearts and into our, into our minds? This becomes important for us as the body of Christ. <coughs> Look with me then to verse 21. He says, well, let me go back to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. There is this oneness that Jesus prays that not only would we be one with all the believers, but we would also be one with the Father and the Son. That the church is together with God. Is Jesus the head of our church? <laughs> Jesus, if we're the church that he's calling us to be, is our head. He is our, our leader. Uh, when, uh, when Frank called yesterday about today and he said, uh, would you have something that you could share? I said, interestingly enough, I spoke to a Christian's men luncheon on Wednesday. I can modify it. So what you're, what you're getting was actually going out to a, a Christian's men's, men's group with some modifications. But the truth remains that oftentimes the church is doing things that our head abhors. Uh, we fail to do the things that he wants us to do. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 10 there, he says, don't give up the meeting of yourselves together, but do it all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of the return of Jesus approaching. And spur one another on toward love, and good good works. We have a responsibility within the body of Christ to be listening to our head and to be doing what he tells us to do. I never like to cancel a worship service, especially on the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. It's not my day. I need to present myself to him. Because that's what his, what his word says. So when it's the Lord's day, where do I need to be? I need to be meeting together with my brothers and sisters. Now notice what you said. I need to be in church. What does that mean? Gathering of people. This building is the building where the church meets. 
you guys. You're the church. If you've accepted Jesus, you are the church. If I'm going to be encouraged, I need to come together with the body of Jesus. That's what he wants for us. We are, in a very real sense, a family. And then in verse 24, let me read that one to you so that you're getting the picture of what Jesus is praying about for us. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me before, because you love me before the creation of, of the world, that we might be together with him. That's what Jesus has prayed for, for us, his church. Is that good news? Are those good things? To be one together, to be sanctified, uh, to be uh, one with him and his Father, to be together with him. That's what Jesus was praying for, for us. Uh, those are some neat, neat things. Uh, the plan and the purpose of the church is accomplished in uh, relationship. In John 13, 35, and we can just turn back a couple pages and we can read what Jesus says here as he's preparing to leave his disciples. Let me go back to verse 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. The unbelievers are going to know that you're a disciple of mine by your love for one another. This is that Greek word agapeo, agape. What does that mean? What? Sacrificial love. Literally, it means seeking for the other's highest good. When God demonstrates his love for us, he's seeking for the other's highest good. He's seeking for our highest good. If in the body of Christ, if Jesus is the head of the church, he's saying, I want you to show love for one another. Uh, the devil has a way of changing price tags. He has a way of changing meanings of, of, of words. A gay has taken on an entirely different meaning than what that word originally meant. That's what Satan does. He tries to twist things around. He tries to change, change things up. He says, I want you to love one another. I want you to seek for the other's highest good. Now, the scripture is replete with admonitions of different types that show us that we're to love one another. I just picked out a couple. Galatians 6.2, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Well, as you bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. I've been blessed by the fact that Dave has been going to help Frank get the house ready. That's a good picture of this idea of seeking the other's highest good. That's a good thing. In the body of Christ, in the church, 
That's what we're to be doing. Those kinds of things. What many of you did a week ago last night in going to the, to the mission. That was demonstrating love. Seeking for the highest good of those men and women who have nothing. In saying we're concerned about you, we care about you. We're bearing your burden in this. Uh, bear one another's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, in agapeo. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, there's another opportunity that we have. Does the enemy try to bring division into the body of Christ? We've seen that very clearly. He does that. We need to be on guard against that. We need to say, no way. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. All of these verses that we see here, they're all talking about our relationship with one another in the body of Christ. It becomes important for us in these days when there's this hysteria, when everybody is looking out after their own interest, when we're going to stop over, <coughs> a whole bunch of people for a roll of toilet paper to say, no, we're not going to do that. You take that, I'll use newspaper. It's okay. <laughs> Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, we're a family. We're chosen. We're God's special people. And because of that, we need to be willing to do things in accordance with our head, our leader, Jesus. We need to be a relational church. That's what Jesus prayed for. Well, let's, let's look at this. Uh, and we're going to get into Acts now, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've been working through the book of Acts with Pastor Chuck. Uh, we're going to just take a look back on some of these verses that we've already looked at. But in Acts 2, 42 through 47, let me read them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. 
After Peter's message here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the church grew. Didn't read that verse. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church grew. Notice their practice. They had devotion to the apostles' teachings. What did Jesus pray for? That we would be sanctified in the truth. As they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, they were hearing the will and the ways of God. Was Jesus' prayer being answered in the early church there? Yeah. They were devoting themselves to fellowship, spending time together. Uh, this is something that we need to consider. How can we encourage fellowship with one another? It becomes important, this fellowshipping together is the body of Christ. Uh, sometimes working together, there was good fellowship at the mission a week ago Saturday night. Uh, you, you got to work alongside one another. Uh, during those downtimes, you got to talk to one another about things that are happening in your life. These times become important in the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus was praying that we would be one, that we would be together. Uh, this happens through fellowship. Uh, when we are together, is he with us? Where two or more gathered in his name, is he with us? Yeah. So when we're fellowshipping together, even though we may not be talking about heavy spiritual truth or doctrine, he's still with us. He's helping us to be knit together through a bond of, of love. Uh, to the breaking of bread, eating meals together. Uh, we do that sometimes. Uh, we certainly don't do it to the extent that we see in the early church. Uh, but we find that in the breaking of bread, again, Jesus is there with us. He's meeting with us, even as we're growing closer to him. And then they devoted themselves to prayer, uh, joining together with God. Jesus prayed that we would be one with his Father and himself. We do that when we get together and we pray. Uh, one of the problems in being a part of a super big church is you don't get prayed for. You know what's nice about being in a smaller church family? You get prayed for every single day. You're prayed for every single day. Is that good news? That's important. You've got a prayer covering over you. There's people praying for you. When I was in the West Pittston Church, we had a much larger congregation than we have here. Uh, I asked my elders if they would be willing to pray with me for the church family that we would be praying for everybody every day. 
And the way that we did that is we gave assignments for different days for different uh, alphabetic letters so that everybody in that certain group of alphabetic letter would be would be prayed for on a different day by different elders so that everybody in the church family was being prayed for every day. You don't get that in a big church. But you get it in a in a family like this where a couple hundred people you can do it effectively. But that's what that's what Jesus was praying for that we would be a family that we would be one, that we would be connected to him and to his, to his father. Uh, these things were done together. In the first five chapters here in the book of Acts, we see this strange word, homothumadon. Sounds bad, but it's good. <laughs> it means that they were together in one accord. <clears throat> one place, one purpose, they all came together. And when they did that, some incredible things happened. Incredible things happened. Circumstances changed. We're without an under-shepherd. We have a shepherd. We have a head. It's Jesus. We're without an under-shepherd. But Jesus has his eye on us, and he will provide at the right time that... Uh, that under-shepherd that we need. In this relationship, they were together. Uh, they held on to their material goods very lightly. They met the needs of the poor. They shared meals. They visited in each other's homes. They praised God together all in relationship. Uh, they did it together. And it's important that we understand that this togetherness wasn't done in an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. This was done every single day. This oneness was taking place within the body of Christ Jesus. Uh, there's, uh, even in a small family here, a lot of need. Uh, I get to hear some of your needs from time to time as we talk. Uh, Sister Renee is in a very difficult course this semester. If she's going to pass, she needs all of us praying for the Lord to give her incredible insight and knowledge and wisdom. And I believe that the Lord can, can do that. I do. But we have to come together and say, okay, our sister, she needs our, our prayer help. And we need to be willing to come alongside of her and say, okay, Renee, what do you need? Frank and Casey, they're going to have their hands full. They got their hands full now. <laughs> their hands are going to be over, overflowing in another week. They're going to need the help of the family. What can we do to assist you? How can we help you? How can we come alongside of you to make life work better. This is what Jesus is praying for here, dear ones. This is what he's looking for us to become. And we'll never do it in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It has to be more. It has to be deeper. It has to be real. 
I really don't think it's impossible. In some ways, it may seem inconvenient. It certainly is a challenge. But that's where, even though Jeremiah was confined, God said to him, you call on me. I'll answer you and show you great and awesome things which are unbelievable, which you couldn't even imagine. Is that good news? That we have a God like that who's able to do for us that which he alone can do? When they were, when the early church was living as Jesus wanted them to live in this family loving reality, the church grew daily. Why? Because the lost people, the lonely people, they were saying, look at those people over there. There's joy in their lives. There's contentment. Something's going on there that we don't understand. We want what they've got. You know what? We don't see this happening today because people don't want what the church has. Because we don't have what Jesus wants us to have. We need to change. Lord, help us. Help us. When the church was living relationally, believers, with God and with each other, the church grew daily. This relational love was seen by unbelievers, and they were responding daily. I've got news. The world around us is hurting. Right now, they're hurting real bad because they're afraid. Psalm 139, verse 16, says that all the days that were ordained for us were written in God's book before one of them came to be. You're not going to lengthen your life by anything you do. You're not going to shorten your life by anything you do. God is in control. He has said, this is it. And guess what? No matter what you try, you're not going to supersede what God says. Even those who seemingly end their own life, guess what? That was the day that their life was to end. They're not going to get a hand up on God. It doesn't work that way. God knows all. And then the church needs to pray together. John 4, 23 through 31. Uh, let me just give you some background as to what's taking place. Peter and John are arrested. They are brought in before the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council in Israel. And they were told that they were no longer to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Political correctness in that day tried to muzzle the church. Try to gag it. Does anything like that happen today? The, the, the dominant religion of the day did not want the message of Jesus to be declared. We see that same thing today, dear ones. They didn't want it spread in the, in the marketplace. This is true today with secular humanism. 
Secular humanism doesn't want any, any mention of Jesus at all in the, in the public realm. They don't want the name of Jesus to be heard. It's neat to see what happened back in that day. Uh, the message of Christ, backed by the church that is living in relationship with God and fellow believers, is urgently needed to make an impact on society. Society is growing darker by the day. Uh, society is getting more perverse by the day. Guess what the light is? City light. Yeah, that's us. We're to be reflecting the light of Christ out into an ever-darkened world. And the only way that we can do that is by being the church, being the body, being the family that Jesus has called us to be. We're his ambassadors. We're his witnesses. In relationship, the church comes together in prayer. We acknowledge, they acknowledged back in that day that there were powers greater than them, the Sanhedrin, that was causing them to say, no, you cannot speak in the name of, of Jesus. So they called out on a greater power. They called on a greater power and said, Lord, you hear the threats that they're making. You know what they're, what they're, what they're saying. Now, up to this point, the ones who are basically declaring this message of the cross are the apostles. And perhaps as many as that group of 120, they're the only ones that are declaring this incredible message. But they all come together. This is that homothumadon. They all came together in one place, some building, by the thousands. And they prayed together. Singular heart, singular mind, singular purpose, Lord, you help us to stand up against this edict that we can't speak the name of, of Jesus. And what happens? The place where they were meeting is shaken. The Holy Spirit comes upon this whole group of thousands. And no longer is it 120 or 130 people speaking boldly this message of the cross of Christ. It's now thousands. God says, I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to make this proclamation so big, so great, that they're not going to be able to contain it. Is that what we want to see through City Light? Is it? God's given us a picture of what we need to be who we need to be for him. The question is, are we willing to take the steps of faith needed to become the church that he's calling us to be? Is this good news today? We're not, uh, we're not down and out. We're not. We have a God who is listening. What are we asking him to do? What are we asking him to do? Dear one, the challenge is that we need to be praying corporately in this oneness. We need to share the message of Christ. I was pleased this week 
because God has reaffirmed the fact that we're not set aside. The church got a call from a man in, in Colorado. His 91-year-old mother fell and she broke her leg. She was in general hospital and she did not know Christ. He's a believer. So we were charged by the Spirit of God to go and confront this 91-year-old woman. Her name is Rosemary. She doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus. Nothing at all. So church, we needed to pray for Rosemary's heart to get soft. Uh, that she'll allow us an opportunity again to share a message of life eternal with her. She's 91. And she's still rebelling. Will you pray? Will you pray? The Lord's able. You call to me. And I'll show you great and awesome things which you know nothing of. Let's pray together. Father, we are desperate for you. We're desperate for you to do all that we can't do. Lord, we're asking that you would make us one with yourself, one with each other, that we would be under your headship and do what your spirit directs us to do. Father, we know that we haven't arrived. Lord, there's still a lot that we need to work out in our own individual lives with you. But Father, we need to do this while working together in the family, in the community of the body of Christ, the church. Father, the enemy has devastated us over, over these past months. But we're asking that you would begin a work of growing us closer to you and closer to each other. Father, you know the needs of each one of these dear ones here today. And Father, as they are prayed for daily, I pray that you would give them a sense of a connection with you and with each other that would help them to become all that you've purposed them to be, that truly we might be light to this city and beyond. Father, we think of our sister Sharon today over in West Africa, where things are difficult and dangerous and deadly. Lord, we lift her before you this morning and we pray that she would know that her church family is lifting her up today. And Father, I pray that, that in the months and the years to come, we might be sending out from here all over the world those who will take the light of the gospel to those in darkness. Father, we wait on you this morning. Your Holy Spirit is here. Speak to us and move us as you alone can do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, with every heart open, God's Spirit is here today, dear one. He's had his hand in everything from the opening prayer through it all and he's speaking to you 
And there are those here this morning who need to take the next step of faith, whatever that might be. I don't know what the Spirit of God is, is speaking to you about. But whatever that next step of faith is this morning, the enemy is going to try to come against you. I'm going to ask that you just slip up your hand and say, Brother Don, I know I need to take this next step of faith. I know it will be hard, but I believe the Holy Spirit will give me victory. Is there any this morning will say, Brother Don, Holy Spirit speaking to me and I need prayer. Is there one? God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Are there others? He loves you. He wants us to be the best that we can be together. But there's a need for people to begin to take steps of faith. Might be scary. That's okay. The Lord will help you. Anyone else here? I want to pray for you. Anyone else? Father, you see these dear ones this morning who are listening to your spirit and you're telling them they need to take that next step of faith. Lord, you know what it is. Father, you are the one to equip them. You are the one to enable them. You are the one to give them the holy boldness that they need. Lord, I pray today that they would find victory in Christ alone. And Lord, their example would be uh, a, a catalyst to help each one of us take that, that step of faith that will cause us to become all that you purpose us to be. Lord, as we leave this place, we're asking that you would make us light wherever you send us. Lord, that you would protect us from whatever the enemy might try to throw in our way, including viral infections. And Lord, we're asking that as City Light Church, uh, we might truly be a beacon to the lost, to the hurting, to the dying. Lord, for your own glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.